Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. The opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Odd Fellows. Our conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. And now, Let's continue the journey. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson. And I'm Tara Zajac. Hey, Tara. How's it going? Things are great. Are they? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen you in ages. We haven't been here in front of the recording mic for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. It is. It's like coming home again, Billy. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So what have you been up to? Um, <laughs> well, it's great being back in meetings. Yes. Uh, as the, uh, dedicated listeners may or may not know, I'm vice grand. So just, um, thinking about in the last quarter or so of the year, and then my mind also moving to next year and, you know, lodges back up and going after summer break. Mm-hmm. We've already given a charitable checkout to um a group here in town and looking at doing some more activities so um it's nice to see the momentum yeah starting early yeah, yeah. how Great. about you uh it's we've had sort of a similar return to the hall and uh we yeah we we've got stuff going on so uh, we have a open meeting tomorrow, which is going to be fun. Uh, so people can bring guests uh, who are interested in Odd Fellows or friends. And by tomorrow, you mean Wednesday, in case someone's oh, listening case to this. Yeah, on a Sunday night, wondering what, or a yeah. Saturday night, what so are we doing? So the 21st. Yeah, 21st. So, uh, yeah, we Columbia doesn't do a lot of open meetings. And, uh, yeah, so we're doing an open meeting. Uh, at that meeting, we have the a representative from the Vancouver Island Crisis Society, who was the beneficiary of our funds raised at the summer disc golf tournament. Mm-hmm. So they're coming to do a, uh, a little, tell us how their, how their work has been going recently. And, uh, and they kind of come for an annual cycle through. So it's good to check in. Um, and then we also have a veteran pinning to do for a couple veterans. One uh, veteran is a 30-year veteran, and uh, and that is uh, Jerry Ratchford, who was a guest on the early days of the Modern Goat Rider. And I think most exciting is that I will be uh, driving with Jerry to Chilliwack, off the island to Chilliwack on Thursday to Grand Lodge Sessions. The big smoke? No, the big, the, <laughs> hardly. The, hardly. Past the big smoke and into yes. the big field. We, yes. we love people in Chilliwack. It's a beautiful part of our province. Um, it's just a long way away. Um, so, yeah, that's what Jerry and I are doing this week. And uh, it'll be fun to see everybody at Grand Lodge. And and just um, internalizing some of the discussions we had about Grand Lodge sessions in our previous podcast. Yeah. And getting to really feel all the action. Feel it, see it. Yeah. Love it. Live it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a bottle of wine. (laughs) (laughs) I can lend you my flask if you like. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. 
Anyways, today is uh, an exciting show because we are, I wouldn't say we are long overdue to have the uh, Fun Brothers on about the Oddfellows Primer. We wanted to do it a little differently. We decided to wait a year and chat with them about how their, uh, you know, the reception of their book has gone. And we interviewed them and uh, it was kind of a nice, tight little interview. Well, it was. It was great. They you know, talked about some introspections and reflections on it. And then Billy also uh, set us up with a little quiz. Yeah, I, I played game uh, Quizmaster yeah. in today's show. You weren't you weren't too hard on us. I'm not going to no. lie. I was a little bit, uh, a little nervous. Were you? Kind of. Well, I don't like to look silly. I'm a little type A. <laughs> <laughs> so didn't, it, it went okay. It went, went okay? All right. yeah. 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 You did yeah. not embarrass yourself at all. Thank goodness. Ainsley did, though. Oh. Oh, boy. So, yeah, we're talking about Ainsley Heilig <laughs> and Michael Greensinger of California and Ainsley's from uh, Illinois. And uh, so if you haven't gotten their book, The Oddfellows Primer, you should get one. I'm holding one right now, which is great radio. Uh, it's a lovely blue covered book. It comes in hardcover and softcover. And if you go to oddfellowsprimer.org on your internet devices, you will uh, be able to get your hands on uh, a copy of it or more, multiple copies for your lodge. Uh, you can also just find it at Amazon. It's a feast for the eyes and the brain. Because the illustrations are, are great. That was Ainsley's yes. contribution. And then and Michael wrote it. So it is it is pretty cool on a couple of different levels. And we get into that um, in the podcast, some of the thinking behind the illustrations and the content. All right. Cool. So, um, yeah, why don't we just get into, oh, you know what I should mention is you guys, you, Bastion, yes. look spectacular in your new collars. Oh, yes. We've been, um, the other lodges have been so kind as to lend us their collars, um, and we have our own, and they are brand spanking new, and they have nice texture and little tassels, and we um, can be more pleased. It's nice to have... You know, when you're a newish lodge, there's a bit mm -hmm. of big borrow steel. Um, so this is great to have this extra little bit that's just our own for our lodges, and and the the members are quite proud. So so it's officers nice. and members are just officers. We ordered a small sample batch for officers just to sort of check right. the quality and whatnot. So um, we'll be ordering more from Ooh, the good. various degrees. But Do you um, want, should we give them a plug? Um, I couldn't tell you. Who you got them from? No. They're from Three Links uh, FHL in the Philippines. Oh. They're from the gang. That is wonderful. I'm glad you knew that. Yeah. I, I was I was not on that subcommittee. Apologies, Three Links. No problem. <laughs> They'll get a good plug. Uh, yeah. Uh, they've got a whole array of paraphernalia swag, odd fellows, cool stuff. Um, you can check them out on Facebook and then get, uh, get contact information from there. But let's not get any uh, later into our interview with Ainsley and Michael. Well, here we are. It's exciting. It's exciting. We have guests. We have two wonderful guests who are repeat guests on Modern Goat Rider. I'm going to give uh, just their first names, and then I'm going to ask them to reintroduce themselves to the world of Modern Goat Rider. So, Michael, please. 
Hi, I'm Michael Greensager. I'm a past grandmaster from California. Uh, and one of the things that I did for my grandmaster project was I wrote the Odd Fellows Primer. Well, welcome. And Michael, so what year were you grandmaster? 2021 to 2022. I, I just got finished uh, this past May. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Ainsley, you're next. Hello, I'm Ainsley Heilick, and I am also co-host of the Three Links Oddcast. So I've been on the Goat Rider several times for listeners, um, but I am also the illustrator of the Oddfellows Primer that Michael wrote. Right. So we are welcome. Welcome. Congratulations. It's been a year since you've published the book and released it. Uh, and we wanted to kind of do a show a little different than just the, the usual junket that you may have been running all over the country doing. <laughs> Sarcasm is welcome at my Throngs of fans. Throngs of fans. Yes, yes. yes. Odd, odd fellows con. Odd, odd, yes. odd con. <laughs> odd con. What a great Ooh. idea. Who wants to yes. organize odd con? <laughs> That's been something that I feel like s several people have like thought about and then they're like immediately scared away from the idea because it's like... Ooh, that's a big that's a big undertaking. But yes, somebody needs to make that happen. All right. Yes. Not today. Not today, though. Not today. So we are going to talk about this lovely book that I have a copy of. And I a uh, little side story. When I heard this was coming out, I bought 50 copies for the uh, constituency of Victoria and Nanaimo. And we had some brothers and sisters pick up some books. And mm -hmm. I just sold the last one. Um, in May, when I did nice. my uh, Oddfellows 101, I had a few copies left and they were sold at that class. And That's I told awesome. everyone to go to, uh, to your bookstore and get more copies. So let's stop Billy talking and let's have you guys talk. So Michael, why <laughs> did you write this book? Sure. Uh, so the reason why I wrote the book is because um, over the years, um, I've traveled around a lot as an odd fellow. I've visited a lot of different lodges. And one of the, the main things I noticed is that education is really difficult within our order. It's not always easy for people who are in lodges to get information about how to be an odd fellow, how to run a lodge, even really the basics. There's just a wide variety of knowledge levels out there. Um, and so I wanted to find a way that I could help elevate the overall knowledge levels for our order, help people who wanted to uh, get their hands on the information that they need. And the book has sort of a, I guess, kind of a flair to the old, to the traditional books that were 1800s. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, we we modeled it after the Oddfellows manuals of the 19th century. Uh, particularly, I was inspired by the improved Oddfellows manual uh, by Reverend A.B. Grosh. Uh, so we, we definitely tried to uh, carry forward that 19th century vibe into the work. And of course, Ainsley's art was a big part of that. I'll just interject too, in case anyone is hearing that date range and thinking that... Um, the book is dense and stodgy and hard to read. It's been super well received, as I would say, signified by the uptake and people um, buying it here. And I know several people in my lodge who, you know, something will come up for discussion and they'll say, well, the primer says, 
So it, you know, it's, it's doing what it's intended to do in terms of um, education. It's been really valuable. And, and to anyone who's considering it, it's um, very, very readable and laid out really logically. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. So what was a little bit more of the guts of writing the book? Did you spend months and months researching? How did it go down? And, and then Ainsley, I'm going to come back to you too about art on the, the same side. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, some parts of the book uh, took a lot more research than others. And, and usually the way you can tell is how many footnotes uh, did I include in that chapter? So uh, obviously the, the history section had a lot of footnotes, um, had to do a fair amount of book research to get that right. Uh, but sort of the, the meat and potatoes of the book, uh, the information about how to run a lodge, how to be an officer, those types of things. Uh, most of that I actually just kind of sat down and wrote uh, from my own experience over the years as an odd fellow. There were times when I had to check things against uh, the Sovereign Grand Lodge Code of General Laws, uh, but for the most part, it was based on my experience. Cool. So, Ainsley, how about you? Um, so, for me, the my hurdle was just the discipline of working on it because I didn't have to actually do a lot of um, hardcore research, even though I did do a lot of research Um as far as images for that are historical in nature that are included in the book, I kind of already knew what I wanted to use as far as images go, because I've done all that research years ago ahead of time. I, I knew what book to pull off the shelf to open up, to get whatever image I needed to pull out. But um, the drawing of the images is where I needed the real discipline. And so we would have, um, we, we had accountability meetings that we would do every several weeks to, make sure we stayed on task. So that for me was invaluable <laughs> to making sure I, I got my work done in a timely manner. Um, because if I don't um, have a deadline um, with anything, then it just, it keeps getting put on the back burner. So yeah, it's that, that for me was the, the time sink. Yeah. And my, oh, very cool. Michael, where did you start well before, or was it just really done in, a year's time. Uh, no, this project took several years, actually. Um, I started working on it when I was the grand instructor under Grandmaster Mel Astrahan here in California. Uh, and I, I, I didn't realize at the time when I started exactly how long it takes to write a book like this. Um, I'd say I probably worked on it about three or four years. Wow. And grand instructor, tell us about that role. So that's a role which exists in some jurisdictions, but not others. Uh, essentially, what the Grand Instructor does is uh, train the District Deputy Grand Masters who are uh, incoming. So the, the position's a little weird because uh, the Grand Instructor does most of their job before they even take office. That's the big part of the job. And then beyond that, it's just a regular Grand Lodge appointed officer job. Very cool. Sorry, and now I'm going to ask more questions. So you're basically teaching what's what you put into the book. I actually wrote a completely separate district deputy grandmaster manual that I used when I was grand instructor. Uh, mm. And and those those parts of the the book that are taken from that DDGM manual, those are the oldest parts of the Oddfellows Primer. I I use that that DDGM manual as the jumping off point to write the entire full length book. Okay. 
Now, I recall you released the book right around Sovereign Grand Lodge last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a little bit stressful, actually. Because <laughs> yes, it was. We, we, we were still, you know, polishing up the layout, making some some last minute updates until fairly late in the game. And it was really important to us to have the book there to uh, sell at Sovereign Grand Lodge. We wanted to make a real big splash. And we knew that was going to be one of the, the best places to get the book out there into the wild. So uh, we, we did our best to get it done as quickly as we could. And then we had to wait for the books to get printed and, and shipped there. We had them shipped directly to the hotel. We didn't know exactly what day they were going to arrive. We were checking like the tracking information every day. And thankfully they came, I think it was maybe the second to last day of sessions, uh, yes. just barely in the nick of time. And, and we had copies to sell. So, so it went well. Yeah. Yes. It was definitely a very stressful uh, week there uh, that sliding into home base with uh, getting the books released. Um, Cause it was like the whole point was we wanted it to be out for the session. So we would have survived had it not arrived, but we would have also been a little heartbroken, but at the end of the day, everything worked out great. It allowed time for the uh, tension to build up, you know, amongst the crowd. We heard <laughs> yes. this book is coming. Is it there yet? very mysterious it's, not like odd fellows it's perfect <laughs> it's it's true actually we had people asking us is the book here yet is the book here yeah. yet um and, yes. and i think probably our our um our then sovereign grandmaster wes nelson probably wanted to know more than anyone because he had written the foreword uh, to the book and had a, a portrait of himself in the book which was uh, drawn by ainsley so he wanted to have it at his sessions of course yeah, we had we had our sample books at the table at least, but and people kept trying to buy those off of us, and we're like, no, 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 these are these are just the the sample to look at. We can't if you take it, then we'll have no sample to show anybody. So, well, yeah. as I have to say, the art is great, and it Thank seems you. like it's something from a a bygone time in the style that you've done it, and it's very fitting to Odd Fellows, and it just really brings a lot of the the concepts and the descriptions to to life. So. It's it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, that was definitely um, like the fun challenge part of it because um, there's a lot of um, kind of art historical references in the drawings as well. Um, I have a art history degree, so I like to kind of reference and put a little like a lot of little art history Easter eggs in there from mm -hmm. some pieces that I think are you know important art pieces to me, and so people could kind of go, I eventually want to write a blog post about all the Easter eggs I put in there, but I, I never seem to get around to it. So for now it's up to, uh, for people to figure it out for themselves. Um, but definitely to try to find a style that I could be, uh, consistently repeatable, mm -hmm. uh, across the images and not all the images were created, um, with the book intention in mind, because a lot of, uh, the designs were pieces I'd designed ahead of time for other projects and kind of use this as a compiling area to kind of show off my entire Oddfellows body of work. But the ones that I specifically created for the book, I wanted those to be of a very consistent style and one that I could repeat down the road if we, you know, have subsequent editions come out and I could easily be able to refer back to that style to be consistent. Cause that's something as an artist, that's a big challenge that mm -hmm. as you work, how your work changes in time. So that was the first thing I had to establish was a style that I could repeat 
for long term, and that was also going to look consistent with um, how the illustration styles of the bygone era were based off the type of printing that they had at that time. And so kind of I came up with a almost like a hybrid of my comic book style that I really don't get to do much as mm-hmm. a as a tattoo artist it's, it's not a style I really use anymore so but it's one that I know for a fact will be consistent because it's one I developed as a teenager so I kind of went back to a throwback style of my own but updated it by doing it all on the iPad so it's you know I could use the same brush settings and be consistent with that so it, yeah that was kind of my process if, if that makes sense <laughs> No, it does. Well, and, and some of the illustrations definitely have a bit, bit more of that like lithographic mm-hmm. look to them. Um, but if you were to uh, indulge me and perhaps drop a couple Easter eggs for the mm-hmm. podcast, what would you, what comes to mind? Uh, well, of course, like the first one is the um, creation of Adam by uh, Michelangelo, um, where it's <laughs> Adam as the first odd fellow. So um, that was definitely an Easter egg I wanted to throw in there because the the absurd notion that Adam was the first Odd Fellow, of course, is is a fanciful um, creation story, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that were the case, what would that look like? And just kind of for for funsies, I wanted to just explore what would that look like, and I had to pick my favorite depiction of Adam, the creation of Adam and kind of the making of an odd fellow and the initiation and everything. So that, Oh yeah. The, yes. The McGree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another one. <laughs> yeah. So man uh, in the bowler odd fellows hat. Yes, exactly. So um, everything that I used from art history, I kept a lot of um, truth to it, but then I also odd fellowed it up um, by switching um out elements or um you know putting some three links in there no it's great i really enjoy it (laughs) yeah but there's many more easter eggs than that too yeah yeah it's almost like a where's waldo type thing can you find all the different little sets of three links that ainsley hid throughout the book yeah (laughs) and there's even little easter eggs of um there's like a illustration that i'm in there's one that michael's in there's a couple of friends that are in there and as we you know, evolve the book, you know, we'll probably populate it with even more people. So. Yeah. I was going to ask about uh, if there was any feedback from people who are in the book, <laughs> like they spotted themselves. Well, I feel like everybody knew any, ahead of yeah. time. Didn't yeah, we didn't put anybody in the book without letting them know up. No, front, I know. So, yeah. so they were all expecting it, it. And in fact, looking forward to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Wes, um, not to you know pat myself on the back but Wes was so tickled by his picture and was just wanted everybody to see the picture of him in the book and just would come over and open up the book to his page just to show people look 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 at my picture in the book and so I the fact that when I could do a portrait of somebody and have it especially like do it in a way that's like uh, you have to stylize it a little bit it's not you know, complete photorealism and to have them be happy with it and not just be like, you know, find it a flattering image of them and to be excited to show it off to others. That's a really big compliment mm-hmm. because um, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to nail a lot of times, if, especially if it's like uh, you're going off of a photo and that's the only photo you have, or if it's the best photo you have. And 
that photo might be lying to you a little bit. So, um, but for somebody to look at it and recognize themselves in a picture of themselves is a really cool thing to be able to achieve. And, uh, and almost all the pictures of, of people in the book, if, if not all of them are actual people that we know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I didn't uh, get an email for my picture. So... No, me neither. Jeez. Maybe the next <laughs> I'm very thankful that I got recognized <laughs> in the book, though. I got a little acknowledgement. Thank you. It's good. Uh, so, how's the feedback? It's been a year. I I understand there was a hardcover available this summer. Is is that about the right time? Yeah. Uh, well, the the hardcover actually uh, launched uh, last fall, almost a year ago. Oh. Okay. Um, we we actually we we put that out uh, specifically to try to get it out there in in time for the holidays. Uh, as more of a, a, a collector's edition. And so how has the reception yeah. been for both books? Um, I, I, I think it's been off the charts good. I've, I've got so much positive feedback. Um, uh, I think uh, the, the, the paperback has definitely been a lot more popular than the hardcover. Um, I think that that's because the price point's obviously a lot cheaper. And uh, we've also really, we've, focused on keeping the price down for the paperback as much as possible because mm. we're, we're trying to get it into the hands of every lodge and every odd fellow that we can uh but it's it's just been phenomenal uh, all, all the positive feedback we've been getting um people writing facebook posts about it totally unsolicited we, we just wake up and see them as a pleasant surprise it, it's been awesome yeah i i think one of the most gratifying things is whenever uh somebody might buy a book for themselves and they like it so much they tell you know somebody in their lodge or whatever and the next thing you know the whole lodge is placing an order and so they could use that bulk discount of course but also the fact that they're you know enough people are like you know what this is a good book we all need this book and then they tell everybody else and they're like yes let's get this book and it's been received as something that is fulfilling a need and is useful because one thing for me with my art that is a very important thing is I, I don't like to just make art just I don't sit around and just make art just for funsies a lot it has to have a purpose and a function um, because otherwise I feel like it's almost just like I'm just littering the world with my like vanity art um, so to have this book to be functional and purposeful and to actually be doing what we intended it to do is just, it's a great feeling because it shows that it wasn't just uh you know, like, like a vanity project or something that we did just for fun or, you know, cause it was a labor of love, but it was also a lot of work and dedication and continues to be and into the future. And to see it actually be useful is really, that's the payoff we were looking for and we got it. So do you, okay, okay, so maybe I'm backtracking a little bit and trying to harp at something here, but the, the feedback, what, like, what was the best? Like, have you got any great stories about somebody, um, I don't know, telling you how much they've used it? Uh, I mean, I can just imagine that with the population of the Odd Fellows in most, most halls, there isn't the 30-year veteran. And this is, I got this reading this is not going to replace the 30-year veteran because they have the practical they've seen it happen they know what happens when 
somebody has a black ball in the box. They, everybody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to do. And, um, you know, you're a 30 year veteran and your bylaws help, but like this book comes with some weight. It has, it has validity. It has weight. It has reference. So do you get, um, any really surprising stories about somebody's use of the book? Uh, I wouldn't say I've gotten any surprising stories per se. Uh, definitely one of my my favorite uh, bits of feedback that I got was, and we've quoted this, I wish I had this book when I was Noble Grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that says that people are really finding the, the information useful. I've, I've gotten some feedback from members who are 30 plus year members and they're they'll say like, Oh, you know, there, there's some stuff in there that I, I forgot about. And so that was a good feeling to know that we were able to preserve something that might've potentially been lost or, you know, the younger members that are reading it and kind of getting into the idea of reigniting some of these fallen traditions that we have, like the, the ax passing or the charter drape. And then to, go back to their lodge and say, Hey, this is how we do it. Let's do it. And to start doing these things again. And not that you have to do it every single lodge meeting, but it's nice to do it every once in a while, you know, to pass an ax just to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And it's really important. I think to practice our traditions, even some of the little ones that are easy to forget and go by the wayside because they might not have the same original function you know, the ax would go to widows and orphans and now we don't have that, but you could evolve that to whatever your lodge needs it to be. I think that makes a good point, Ainsley, because um, like the ax passing or whatever, you, you don't know what you don't know. And if you come into a lodge and the group or the preceding groups had let some things fall because there wasn't an appetite for it, um, how nice is it to maybe it gets in the hands of one or two people that are really keen to bring something back and without something like the primer that um, oral tradition wouldn't have been passed on the same way. So you have a, a reference and it's a, now it's consistent too across different lodges. So if I'm talking to somebody in California or Vancouver and I'm a bit confused, it's sort of like this nice common resource. Um, in addition, obviously to uh, elder odd fellows, of course, but um, at least it gives you a great starting point if not complete instruction on some things that your lodge might not be doing that you are keen to do. And it's funny you mentioned draping, obviously with the queen's passing um, that happened at our lodge. And it was great having a little bit of extra um, information support on the process for that um, in addition to the resources we already had. So I think it's great. And um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, oral tradition because that that is a big part of of what we tried to record here. Like uh, most of the Oddfellows books you can find out there, and especially if you go to like Codes of Law, you're just getting the written laws. You're not getting like the little bits of advice on how does this really happen practically in an Oddfellows Lodge. You're not getting um, those little oral traditions, which actually can be different in different parts of the country. I have an advantage of having been in two different jurisdictions. Um, I started out in Massachusetts and then later moved to California. So I've experienced it in two different jurisdictions and little things are, are different in different places. And it was really important to me to, to capture those traditions and those nuances. So one thing that I'm hoping is that over time, I'll be able to get some more feedback 
from odd fellows in even more jurisdictions and learn about what their little oral traditions are so I can hopefully uh, make the book more comprehensive in the way that it captures all, all those different traditions which exist in different parts of the continent. Do you have plans for a revised edition? Are you still recovering from <laughs> emotionally <laughs> and mentally from this one? Um, so we definitely are planning to do a second edition. I, I couldn't tell you when. Um, I, I've learned so much uh, about being an odd fellow in the time period since we wrote this. Uh, being grandmaster will do that to a person. Uh, and you know, you'll see that since it was mostly written based on my own personal experiences and and not uh, not not mostly just based on book research. Uh, as I learn more, there's more that I can write. And now, of course, I could write a lot more in the Grand Lodge chapter about how do you be a grandmaster? Because that's something I know about now that I didn't know when I first wrote the book. So uh, you'll you'll probably see over time, especially those chapters where I've learned more like Grand Lodge, Sovereign Grand Lodge, th those will be filled out a little bit more over time as I learn more about those things. Yeah, and yeah, like I'm head shaking because I've, like your like your feedback was. I wish I knew this when I was grandma, a grand a noble grand, but like in Colombia, um, my noble grand who was in position in twenty twenty one, you know, had a vision of writing the uh, the playbook, the noble grand's playbook, and uh, he he didn't start it because it was kind of a chaotic year and on all of that. So I I took it up and I thought, oh, I'll just sit down and write this and it turned out to be really difficult to think of uh, to work through kind of the practical stuff um, that isn't in a book or that isn't in the bylaws and stuff and uh, so I ended up having to just go to dictation you know just end up I, I, and just record what what it is and then trans transcribe it but there are so many little weird things that we see practically like you can talk about how to do a ballot but then the 30-year members you know says to the warden you got to carry the box this way and you only go this way and you don't go that way and you don't know whether these are just his interpretations or his recollection or his his preference to the showmanship of the exercise um so yeah i'd be very interested in kind of seeing where uh where edition two goes. I got a game for us. I'm going to transition. Ooh. Who wants to have some fun? You mean more fun? More fun than we're I already hate having. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so I warned our guests uh, that uh, we would be playing a game and some kind of weird game uh, about uh, a relationship that they have to the book. You mean an odd game? Uh, yeah, it's an odd game. It's fine. Fine. Play that, play that obvious, if you want. Obvious. Um, but uh, what I thought we would do is I have written some questions uh, that are about being an odd fellow and are all answers, uh, except for one, there's an Easter egg that's not in the book, but uh, all these questions can be answered with the primer. And so I thought I would go like one, two, three around and quiz. Each one of you. Oh, a big sigh from Tara. Nope. <clears throat> I would quiz each one of you. Uh, so I get to play quiz master. 
and uh, and the listeners can play along with us in a way. Okay. <laughs> so whose birthday is in January, February, or March? That's not a question. This is how we start the game. Oh. Oh. Not me. Not you. No. April, May, June? No. Okay, so Tara's going to go first. June, July, August? July. I'm July. Oh, okay, great. All right, well, then we're going to go alphabetical. Okay, so it goes Tara, Ainsley, and then Michael. As a Zajac, As alphabetical a Z- never works in my favor. That's right. So it's this is a real treat. Yeah, Sanderson and Zajacs are usually at the end of the hall with our lockers, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Tara. Mm. Oh, Lord. And you guys can back her up. What are the purposes of a term password? <clears throat> I imagine that it's to ensure that year over year, only the those current members know what the password is to not allow folks in from previous years who are not current members. Sounds pretty accurate to me. Is there anybody who disputes that? You figured out nuance. Yeah, not offended. Nuance. So I understood this. You get references to the term password on page one ninety and page two ninety six. Well done, Ainsley. You're up. Oh boy. Oh boy. Recording secretary, financial secretary, or treasurer. Which of these three roles are involved when a member pays their annual dues? Technically all three, but I'm going to say financial secretary. Michael, any addition? Well, actually, I do want to insert one other bit of information, which is the recording secretary is no longer called the recording secretary. We actually just call them the secretary now. I think you have the very earliest version of the book before I corrected that. Ooh. Oh, well, there you go. So, Or if you want to go really old school, be permanent secretary. (laughs) The permanent secretary, right. So uh, there's also a corresponding secretary at one point, too. There's all kinds of secretaries. It's very complicated. So, it, so that might be open to discussion. So, and that might be sort of tradition, right? Would I, I recall like the double checks and balance, double receipt system of the history of the past, where the recording secretary would collect the money, and then it would be issue uh, a receipt would be issued to the member, and then at the end of the night, all the dues would be handed to the financial secretary or the treasurer, and another receipt would be written for the total amount. That's what I've seen in, in the uh, history closet at uh, Victoria. Does that sound about right, Michael? Yeah. Um, many lodges still do use the double entry system, um, though not, not all lodges do today, of course. So, okay. So financial secretaries who collects money in my lodge. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's Michael. Michael's turn. You ready? Sure. True or false. When the flag bearer enters the lodge room, the members give honors of the order. False. Who gets honor of the order? Honors of the order are given to elective officers of all grand bodies. Page 190. No, 291. Thank you. You're correct. You guys are nailing it. 
Are you ready? Yeah. My sister, yes. she's ready. That was probably the trick round to warm us up and make us think we were going to be let off easy. <laughs> I know. I can see the order. I thought Billy maybe lost. It goes straight softball. to double jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. I can see. All right. Five, 15, or more. How many people are required to institute a new lodge? That's a little bit of a trick question it is. because it's different it is. in every jurisdiction potentially. <laughs> um, and it also makes a difference whether um, they're already existing third degree odd fellows or not. Um, it's uh, in some places, at least it's, it's five th existing third degree members, or uh, it could be 15 uh, totally new people off the street. But like I said, it can vary by jurisdiction. I, I was I was gonna say five based off on the creation and bastion for mm -hmm. my Oddfellows Lodge because there there I don't think there were fifteen people to start with I knew it was a smaller group and then they managed to get endorsement in the charter and all that so right. five would have been my final answer based on our experience right and so in and, the bastion story is that they they were the Rebecca's that uh, women from the Rebecca Lodge joined Columbia too. And became third degree members and then instituted their lodge bastion. When I uh, when my lodge got instituted, um, they had me get five third degree and 15 total just to give the best possible chance of survival. So Illinois definitely wants to make sure that a lodge doesn't have just five people to start because it's too easy for one person to just drop away. Mm -hmm. So they they like you to have a nice cushion. Well, and to be clear, we had more than five, but fewer than 15, I would say, in the yeah. OG yeah. iteration. Okay, question number five, Ainsley. Mm. What does the term running the chairs mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it depends on uh, what conversation you're having. Um, so running the chairs in uh, general generally means that you are in the process of uh, climbing the ladder from the lower ranking chair to the higher ranking officer's chair. So in the book, we have kind of the example of starting off as uh as the warden and then kind of working your way around the room. So it was, a, did we do warden, chaplain, it, vice grand, uh, nobleman? My understanding is it would usually traditionally have, you'd started out as the outside guardian, then the inside guardian, left scene supporter, right scene supporter, conductor, warden, vice grand, noble grand. And I've usually heard it referred to as passing the chairs, not running the chairs, but I'm sure there's some regional variation in that as well. Maybe running the chairs is when you skip some of those uh, yeah. scene supports. <laughs> yeah, this is something that doesn't happen uh, as sort of a succession or as a odd fellows training path. Uh, you know, you certainly love your secretaries and recording secretaries mm -hmm. to stay uh, stay in position for a couple of years to really whittle the uh, whittle the bone and get really strong at that uh, that that role in that position. So it is it's on page eighteen and nineteen, and uh, you're right. It doesn't refer to it as running the chairs, but it goes through um, the positions that are a good uh, succession or not a, a route to the noble grand's chair. 
Yeah, we call yeah, that we, we, uh, we call that a progressive line of officers. You progress from one chair to the next. I think we call it going through the chairs in Illinois. <laughs> but I know what you meant. Yeah, running the chairs. Yeah, I, it, yeah. Okay. Chairs and something that you're doing with it. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So I have a I, uh, Michael's up, but I have a question in the list that is not. Uh, I'm not going to do right now. I'm going to move down because it's not in the book. So it may just be a free-for-all one at the end. Okay, uh, Michael, the Sphinx is a symbol of which branch of the order? Uh, ladies of the Orient. Do tell, what is the Ladies of the Orient? Ladies of the Orient is a, a fez-wearing fun group uh, that is only open to women. Uh, historically, it was originally only open to women who were Rebecca's. Uh, but um, more recently, they've been open to all women. Uh, I'm not sure if the age is 16 or 18, but has the just basic same requirements, belief in a supreme being. Uh, but that's that's one of the, the fun side bodies uh, together with its male counterpart, uh, which is called Amos. And how is it fun? Yeah, why is it fun compared to Oddfellow fun? How much so, fun can uh, you have? It, it's a different type of fun. Um, these these fez wearing groups they're they're very satirical they're um they're, they're almost a parody of the lodge so if you're like a total fraternal geek like me like there's there's nothing funnier than something that's a satire on a lodge um and these groups uh there there's often a lot of like horseplay and hijinks um there's sometimes some partying believe it or not um uh this is meant to be like the lighter side of odd fellowship Interesting, interesting. Amos and Lotto, maybe we should have you uh, come back and talk to us about that sometime. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who's up? Tara. Uh, oh, here's a tough oh, one. Oh, gosh. Which, <laughs> which lodge has a committee on drawing of seats? Page 220 in your book. May you repeat the question, please? Which lodge, am I phrasing this correctly, Michael? Which lodge has a committee on drawing of seats? Uh, I can't really think of a better way to phrase that. Grand, oh, you mean grand, like grand which lodge. you mean like which level of lodge? Yeah, yeah which level of lodge, right? Yeah. yeah. So I feel like a sovereign grand lodge final answer. Bing, 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 bing. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yes, I knew that. <laughs> 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 this is me all through high school by the way educated guesses yeah. and success <laughs> no merit congratulations uh okay ainsley mm. which year did the odd fellows and rebecca's first enter a float in the tournament of roses parade oh god is it 1906 or is it 1909 crap it's early 1900s. I can't remember the exact year, but I see the picture in my head because it's in the book. And I got it off of the website from the Rose Float Committee. <laughs> and I see it. I can't. Is it, is it 1909 or is it 1906? What is it? Final answer. Michael knows the answer. No, I, I oh, wanted to say 1908, but I'm really not sure either. It, it, dates are hard for me to remember, honestly. I see the picture and I could draw it for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll give you the date to put underneath the picture. Uh, okay. It's 1908. Ah. Poop. Okay. 
At least I was in the uh, the the, the round um, leap year the leap year vicinity. <laughs> okay, this one's very suited for Michael. He'll know this one. What role do the initials DT? Sorry, I'll start again. What role do the initials DDGT make reference to? DTGT. No, no, I, I corrected uh, myself. DDGT. Oh, uh, District Deputy Grand Treasurer. That I don't know. Uh, that's yeah. all I can think of. Okay. <laughs> what is it? What does that person do? What does that role do? So, um, within um, each district, in addition to the District Deputy Grand Master, there are supposed to be an entire suite of district officers. So what happens nowadays is, is typically the district deputy grand treasurer would just be the one responsible for installing treasurers uh, and uh, financial secretaries. But um, I would imagine that during earlier time periods when districts used to do a lot more than they do today, they probably actually had district money that the district uh, deputy grand treasurer was keeping track of. Hmm. Interesting. It was a, I, I was... I was trying to remember when I saw it last and it was initiation or inst uh, installation. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, there's two questions left. Uh, Tara. Can't wait. According to the rules of order, Robert's rules, if you wish, oh, geez. <clears throat> what is said to turn up the air conditioning? Oh, it's funny. I've, 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 I've known this and I can't think of it right now. All I can think of is point of order, which isn't that. Um, I don't know. Anybody got an answer? It's a point of personal privilege. Dang it. Ooh. Point of. Yes. Point of personal privilege. Half marks. Half marks. All right, Ainsley. <laughs> this is the last question. Uh, I'm going to, the last, the very last question will be open to everyone. Uh, in Odd Fellows, what does liberally construed mean? <laughs> so to be liberally construed is how our um, the the code is to be um, construed, um, not the ritual. And so what one's interpretation of how liberally to construe, is generally up to, um, I guess, each jurisdiction to construe liberally. <laughs> <To> construe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Michael? <laughs> uh, so uh, when we say that the laws are liberally construed, what we mean is that uh, when somebody is interpreting the laws, that they are allowed to bring in information beyond just uh, the literal meaning of the laws that are that are given in the written codes they can use additional information when forming their interpretation the opposite would be strictly construed which means you can only look at the exact words in the code okay thank you well done ainsley <laughs> we, liberal answer we liberally construed your answer yeah thank you <laughs> okay so this one is uh open to all and it is a little bit of a home court advantage uh, for somebody in Victoria. So the question is, can a person walk between the Bible and the Noble Grand? 
Negatory. No. Is that that's your answer? No, they cannot. They cannot. Have you guys ever heard of this? You well, all have an altar in the middle of your room? We do. That would be the difference. Okay. Um, we definitely have a you don't cross the links rule um, where if there's a three links in the middle of the floor in lieu of an altar or nothing in the middle of the floor. But a lot of lodges um, in Illinois have links on the floor. So I painted links on our floor. So you don't cross the links. It's, you know, it's like Ghostbusters, you don't cross the streams, but it's considered, I guess, improper form to do so to pass in between the, the, the space between the middle of the room and the noble grand's chair between the conductor and the warden, unless you're um, being presented. Okay. Mm -hmm. Michael, what's the word on your two jurisdictions you've been in? So um, in, in most places that I've been, uh, they do not use a, a central altar within the odd fellows, only in the Rebecca's. Um, typically the, the Bible would be sitting on the chaplain station. Although, you know, if you look at a diagonal between that and the noble grand station, you might also end up passing through the forbidden zone on the floor as well. Right. And so the follow-up question to this is to the person who got the answer to you. Super. Will they or the hall burst into flames if they do? You know it's what? Like Gozer. Real rule followers, so I don't know. TBD. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen it happen. I've never seen, seen it. No one do does it. it. No one does it. So how would we know? Yeah, it's exactly. at the end of Ghostbusters where you cross the streams and then the Gozer and it's the the boom. You don't do it unless you're allowed to go there because you go into the power pyramid that's coming down <laughs> that you're not supposed to go into an odd fellowship that the energy is focused to <laughs> exactly <Perfect>. exactly <laughs> well thank you very much for playing my little game uh i uh i want to make uh one other general question maybe michael knows this one and it's kind of been on my mind is there a reason that one end of the room is red and the other end of the room is blue. So does that uh, have some historical context? Uh, that just goes along with the symbolic colors of the, the noble grand versus the vice grand. The noble grand's color is, is red, which also relates to the third degree, mm -hmm. the degree of truth, which is the highest degree within an oddfellows lodge. And uh, so the, that's what's used for the noble grand station whereas the vice grand station uses blue which is color of a lower degree ah got it Ooh, i also have something to add on top of that um going back to older odd fellow symbolism when the vice grand was the moon and the noble grand was the sun um the the colors then were um the vice grand was blue of the blue of the kind of like the sky of like a like a lit up kind of a night sky lit up sort of sky blue color. And then the red was supposed to be like the red blaze of the sun, kind of like at a, a blaze of glory sun. And then that's why when you move around to the past grand, they have a star because that's like the twilight sort of thing. So it's kind of like a different time of day deal. So that, that kind of harkens back to the, the 17, uh, 1797. Yeah, something The patriotic order of odd fellows. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. Very different from what we have today. Yeah, mm, very cool. cool. Uh, so how do listeners uh, who don't have the book yet get the book? So the easiest way, of course, is you can just get it on Amazon or any other online books 
seller, um, but we do offer a special discount for lodges or even individuals that want to order in units of 10. And so uh, for folks who want to do that, they just have to go to www.oddfellowsprimer.org. And we have, uh, we have a link there where you can order from us directly from Square. And then um, we sell them for $10 each instead of the normal cover price, which is 15 Okay, great. Thanks. I just kind of want to throw one other thing out there is that this is a wonderful revival of our Oddfellows literature. Um, when I started uh, and I was trying to figure out what the heck all these guys did when they, you know, they said, well, you know, a bunch of guys to get around, sing some songs, do some good work. You know, I really wanted to know what the heck it was. So I went off and, you know, uh, archive.org as much as I could and a books and so forth. And everything was so old. And so I'm so pleased that in the last, I mean, whether, whether I mean, Michael was working on it before COVID and other books were, you know, released before COVID, but um, this has been a great time to read Oddfellows books, right? We've got Scott Moyne's book, um, How to Think Like or Think Like an Oddfellow. Uh, Peter Sellers put out a book about Oddfellow history in California a couple of years back. Uh, Brother Louis had a book on the history of Oddfellows. Um, I think that one was maybe 2018 or 2019. Um, and so there's been a lot. And I think that's just been able to grab the attention of maybe some young newer members who uh, don't quite get the old stuff. So I want to thank you guys for your books, your work. You're very welcome. Thank you. And uh, your quiz skills. Your quiz skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we will have a, uh, we'll definitely do a show on uh, Amos and uh, Lotto soon. So sure, you'll be back. To help. And Ainsley's going to be back with us too, because we're going to do a crossover episode in the coming months with the Three Lengths Oddcast. Always. Yep. Mm. We'll have to, that'll be our third or fourth, uh, fifth. At least or fourth. Fourth. I think it's fourth. Third, yeah. third fourth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're fun. Yes. And I, I think they're definitely kind of good jumping boards for the next sets of episodes that both of our shows end up doing too. So it's it's a good kind of brainstorming kind of round table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you guys. I hope you have a pleasant evening and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Hey, th thank you. Have a good evening. <laughs> well, that was pretty fun. Thank you to Ainsley and Michael. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview and you, uh, you know, get your copy, dig through it, find those Easter eggs that Ainsley is talking about, and we'll keep pushing him to uh, actually reveal them all in a future uh, Oddfellows guide or Heart and Hand blog uh, about all of the ones he drew in there. So, Tara. Yes, Billy. Until we meet again. Cheer. Oh. Making more Oddfellows discoveries and seeing the Oddfellowship all around us. Cheers in FLT.